this is all going to end up on Patreon. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, the Patreon, like the the whole like the whole left leftist ideology is like just for show. Like the real us comes out of the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> That's why our Patreon logo is the Punisher logo. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Grace also says get recording the episode so we can go to brunch. So we should uh, probably okay. start right. talking about Curb Your Enthusiasm. All right. All right. Should we get going? Yeah, might as well. <laughs> says yes. I say yes. Uh, Grace says yes. Uh, all right. Welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. <laughs> it's a show about one thing. <laughs> watching Curb Your Enthusiasm for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. And I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about Season 1, Episode 4, The Shrimp Incident. But before that, what's the deal with stuff from our last episode? Man, I had the title on the tip of my tongue. It was Oh, Trick or Treat, of course. Our last episode, Trick or Treat. Uh, and all, all the only homework we had written down was Wagner Nazi? Of course, the episode <laughs> starts with Larry whistling a uh, Wagner tune outside of a theater. And uh, one of the fellow theater goers accuses him, uh, accuses him of being a self-loathing Jew because Wagner was a renowned anti-Semite and Nazi. I don't know if I don't know if the, the Nazi word comes up, but but I but I think it might have. I don't. Mm, no, it doesn't. Yeah, I was I was I don't remember it specifically, but I don't but think it, it does. I, I think it's just the the guy says that he was Hitler's favorite composer. Yes, so, there so we it, go. It's yeah, it's definitely implied. There we go. Yeah. So uh, Richard, uh, I'm sorry, Wilhelm Richard Wagner, who lived from 1813 to 1883. So he hung on there a good 70 years. Uh, German composer, theater director, uh, polemicist. I don't even know what that is. And a conductor chiefly known for his operas. He has his own Wagner Controversies wiki page, by the way. <laughs> oh, my God. So he has a Controversies section on his wiki page, and then its own separate, if you want to delve deeper into all the Wagner Controversies. Um, so <laughs> we won't delve all the way in, just uh, just into his anti-Semitism, a little bit into his racism, we'll touch on. Uh, but Wagner's hostile writings on Jews, including Jewishness in music, correspond to some existing trends of thought in Germany during the 19th century. So this Jewishness in music article, pamphlet, essay, whatever, he attacks Jews in general and composers like Meyerbeer and Mendelssohn in particular. He blamed Mendelssohn a lot for his lack of success pre-1850. So like replacement theory is not new. <laughs> Let's just, I think we all knew that. But like the fact that this like, you know, guy was like, you know why I'm not successful? The Jews in 1850. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, you know, if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. One central idea of the article, though, I found this. This is just how nutso it was, like his writing. Jew the Jewish language is a, quote, creaking, squeaking, buzzing snuffle, incapable of expressing true passion. And so that's why Jews can't create any songs or music. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> I know. What the fuck? Yeah, that's just one of the central ideas in the, in the article. So, despite his very public views on the topic, this is a great uh, this is a great line in the Wikipedia I loved. Throughout his life, Wagner had Jewish friends. Like what? Oh my god! <laughs> We're putting that in wiki articles now. <laughs> uh, the line you say when you're definitely a racist, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's okay. I can say it. I have I have black friends. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean it, it's a, yeah, it's a trope. It's a cliche at this point. There have been frequent suggestions that his anti-Semitic stereotypes are represented in his operas, like some characters and stuff. Uh, some biographers have noted that Wagner in his final years developed interest in the Aryan philosophy of Arthur de Gobineau, or de Gobineau maybe, notably his belief that Western society was doomed because of interbreeding between superior and inferior races. 
But by the way, when he did meet up with this guy, uh, they had like some sort of retreat. It sounds like they spent like a week together at a hotel or something. <laughs> it's like wild. <laughs> they did ar- they did argue from time to time because uh, Gabano believed that in order to have musical ability, you have to have black ancestry. So how woke was that guy in 18, 1860 or whatever it was? <laughs> like, what a weird concept to bring up. Like, I don't know. Like, speaking of Elvis, by the way, I know a lot of that was clipped for Patreon, but we were talking about Elvis for a long time. And it's like, oh, no, real good music comes from, you know, black people. Adolf Hitler was an admirer of Wagner's music. I would venture to say it, I don't I don't I didn't I didn't come across the word favorite. But I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that he was, you know, fan number one of Wagner because he saw in his operas an embodiment of his own vision of the German nation. In a 1922 speech, Hitler claimed Wagner's work glorified the heroic Teutonic nature. Greatness lies in the heroic. So in other words, the heroic mythology of the German nation, he thought was communicated in Wagner's works. He visited uh, Wagner's theater a ton from like 1923 on. So Wagner's dead at this point, but he's still like worshiping the guy. And there continues to be debate about the extent to which Wagner's views might have influenced Nazi thinking. In fact, his son-in-law, they never met. He never met Wagner. They married in 1908. But this guy was the author of the racist book, The Foundations of the 19th Century, which was published in 1899 and greatly influenced the Nazi movement. But people wonder, you know, what, what came first, like Wagner being having Nazi ideals or Hitler just loving Wagner. And so a lot of the Nazi fascination with Wagner, it seems like, was mostly inspired by Hitler, like attributing all these beliefs, which kind of sucks for Wagner because, look, I mean, he definitely, you know, he's canceled. Like he he wrote a bunch of, he had a bunch of like canceled, canceled beliefs, but it was a different time. No, uh, but, um, it, <laughs> but it seems like he's attributing a lot of stuff that Wagner couldn't come back and go, you know, it's like if any musician was dead and like all of a sudden the Proud Boys are like, oh yeah, this is our favorite our favorite group. I'm tr- trying to think of like a good, like what's a band? Uh, I'm trying to think of a, a band that's not a ba- around anymore. I don't know. Let's say like a million years in the in the future. Like Nickelback is like the, whatever the Proud Boys of 2050 are. Oh, like no. oh yeah, Nickelback's our favorite band. They got what we were talking about. And Chad Kroger's not around to defend himself anymore and go what? No, that that's not what I was talking about. So, that's not what uh, yeah. I meant by today is your last day. <laughs> yeah. No, we know who he was talking about. <laughs> Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, he means look at this photograph of these Nazis. <laughs> yeah, and how great it is. <laughs> um, Wagner's Opera House became a total Nazi hangout, though, and his music was used at a ton of Nazi events. So, uh, okay, that's kind of akin to when Trump uses like Neil Young or something at his rallies, and, and Neil Young's like, "What the fuck? Cease and desist." Yeah, don't like, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I can't even remember like how many times I would see an article of like. Yeah, this musician sent a cease and desist uh, to to mm-hmm. the Trump camp uh, yeah. to stop using their songs. Yeah. I'm on, I'm honestly surprised out of that. Ted Nugent wasn't like, "Hey, no man, you can use my song, brother." I know they probably do anyway. That's probably all that's left is Ted Nugent and Kid Rock alternating. <laughs> like, is this another Kid Rock song? I thought we just, huh? Wow, that's all that's left. <laughs> uh, oh, we're just we're just listening to his entire album on shuffle. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, because everyone knows if you go to one of those, you're waiting three hours in the rain for it to start listening to (laughs) Nugent and Kid Rock on loop. The Nazi hierarchy as a whole, they weren't like huge Wagner fans. They resented like Hitler literally made it mandatory for them to attend some of these operas. There is evidence, though, get this Uh, again. This is nothing Wagner could do, but there's evidence that his music was used at the Dachau concentration camp 
to re-educate oh, no. political prisoners by exposure to national music. I know. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. And because of all these associations of Wagner with anti-Semitism and Nazism, the performance of his music in the state of Israel has been a source of controversy, as you might imagine. Uh, and we saw both sides of that. We, we saw kind of a mini version of that controversy play out in the last episode. So, you know, I guess Nazis didn't really exist when Wagner was around, but I'd venture to say that he was kind of already headed the direction, like obviously a lot, a lot of, you know, he, he had a lot of influence in, in later thinking. And so if he yeah, had the, been around, seeds, I think he would have been, seeds had yeah. been planted. And I think he definitely like, I like what I'm picturing you're saying yeah. is that he would have been in that crowd had he been around. He would have been pulled that direction instead of being repulsed and going, whoa, that's not what I'm about. That's what I'm exactly. Yeah. That'd be my view of things. But I'm no Wagner uh, biographer. So, yeah, that's that's what I took away from it. So not a Nazi, but definitely <laughs> definitely an anti-Semite, I'll say. So here's a, just an interesting little bit of trivia and tidbit kind of on the same line. After the conversation with the, as, as IMDb put it, anti-Wagnerite, <laughs> which is funny. You're an anti-Wagnerite. Uh, Larry... <laughs> Larry whistles a tune. They were like, was that the, the Wagner song he was doing? Or is that a different thing? I don't recognize it. Uh, evidently, he was whistling, and I can't believe I didn't catch this, Springtime for Hitler from the producers. Uh, the 1967 <laughs> oh, okay. movie, and then later becomes a Broadway musical, which, by the way, does become, does play into a future storyline. Uh, the producers does. So, um, yeah, I did not pick up on that, even though I, I definitely know that song. So that's all uh, from homework and stuff. Now let's consult the book. Please rise. So in this episode, David finds golf shirts to be one of the only appropriate displays of his forearms. Uh, he says, <laughs> I don't mind short sleeves on the golf course. I just don't like going to work in short sleeves. Something about wearing a sanctioned short sleeve shirt just doesn't work for me. Okay. Maybe too, <laughs> too casual, I guess. Okay. Yeah. All right. And by the way, the book here does confirm, and they use the word anti-Wagnerite. So it, it comes from the, the wittiness comes from actually the, Curb Your Enthusiasm book. I obviously don't read these before we record. They reference that Larry does start to whistle springtime for Hitler. So uh, as he does in this episode, David makes substitutions when he orders the Cobb salad in real life. Lose the bacon, the eggs, and the ham if they have it. Add a cucumber, blue cheese on the side. So that's the full list. If you mm -hmm. want to order the David salad, that's it. A Cobb salad with all of that stuff removed. Which he takes off the best, like, I would say the Cobb salad lose everything except the bacon, eggs, and ham. And put the and put the blue cheese on it. That's just a great meal to me. I just In, including the lettuce and all the veggies. Just give me a bowl of bacon and ham, please. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's all. I, that's what makes the Cobb salad great. So not that I'm on uh, what's his name's side, Cliff Cobb's side, but he took off all the best stuff. Now you're just eating a salad, a disgusting salad. Uh, what were they thinking? Christopher Thornton, who played Cliff Cobb, said, "You don't find many good parts being an actor in a wheelchair." Oh, so it wasn't. He's, they're not pulling a Glee. They're not pulling an Artie from Glee. It's an actual, uh, huh. he's, yeah. You don't find many good parts being an actor in a wheelchair. They don't tend to let actors read for parts that aren't in a wheelchair. And the stuff that is written is usually small and condescending and lame. I remember Larry was aware yeah. of the possibility that some people might take offense, but he knew that it was so real and funny, it didn't stop him from doing it. There we go. That's actually really cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the only other bit we get is Larry in action, a little bit of the script from where Larry talks to the cops, or I guess transcript of where Larry talks to the cops about his vandalized house. Uh, and that is all from the book. So you may be seated. All right. Uh, do we have any news or anything? Again, like every week, I, I know I saw something and maybe we tweeted about it, but check our yeah. Twitter. <laughs> uh, yeah. Check, 
check, check our Twitter. I'll, I'll get into that in a second. Because, I mean, by the time most people are listening to this, any newsworthy events happened know. two weeks ago. If you have never listened to us before, we are not a research-heavy show. Uh, I've never seen these episodes before. Tim hasn't seen these episodes before in the last 20 years. Uh, we like to have our questions pop up naturally in the run of the episodes and assign them to ourselves the week following as though we are giving ourselves homework. Um, I did those out of order. That's mm -hmm. interesting. Um, I don't have any of this written down. I, I haven't ever written any of this down in the last like three yeah. years. Uh, or four years, yep. actually, because uh, today's our four, as we're recording this, today is our four year Twitter anniversary. Crazy. But if you'd like to give us a follow on Twitter, it's at NoHugging. NoHuggingTheLearningShow at gmail.com is the email. Uh, send us your questions if you would like to be included in our Lost in the Mail segment. If you like us, you want to give us a five star rating. A written review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify is where it's available. Uh, you can do so. Uh, just get us your mailing address as well because we will send you a free No Hugging, No Learning sticker just for giving us the review. If you would like to give us some money, please do so. This is all over the place. Maybe I should write these down. <laughs> Uh, patreon.com slash no hugging is where you can get bonus content from every episode except for those two times and uh, two movie reviews every month as well as early access by one week to every episode that we record I think I think in that whole jumbled mess, I covered everything. Is there anything yeah. I'm missing? Not that I know. Not that I think of. Okay. All that being said, Season 2, Episode 4, The Shrimp Incident. Original air date, October 14th, 2001. And if you were looking at TV Guide that night, you are going to see Larry's suspicion that an HBO executive has lifted some shrimp from his Chinese food leads to trouble. Oh, God. It started so strong, and then the end, uh, they do like the generic I, episode descriptor. I, I have a very easy way to make this so much better. I'll get into that whenever we, All right. uh, whenever we get to that, though. I am down. I can't wait to hear it. Yes, we'll do it at the end. We'll definitely make it better. So we open this episode at home where Larry and Cheryl decide to go out for dinner, but Cheryl wants to stop for a drink on the way at a different restaurant, which completely flummoxes Larry. <laughs> he doesn't understand what the why park the car go to this place go in and have a drink and, and cheryl's trying to explain to him it's the atmosphere it's being social we're gonna be you know when we sit down we're gonna have dinner by ourselves and this is a place where we can go and and you know socialize and be in public and and uh larry just does not get the distinction and so they settle on just doing takeout you know let's just let's just <laughs> stay home Forget the whole thing. So Larry heads off to Royal Star Seafood, which was at 3001 Wilshire Boulevard in Santa Monica. It opened in 1997, according to an L.A. Times uh, article about it that I found. They gave it a, gl a glowing review, but obviously I, I don't know when it closed, but it's gone now. At 3001 Wilshire Boulevard, you'll find The Habit Burger, La Scalia To Go, and Luna Grill. So three kind of fast food restaurants hmm. moved into where this big restaurant was yeah and larry picks up the food he heads back home uh, and they st sit down to, to start eating and cheryl tells him julia louis dreyfus called and he's going to pitch her the idea that was going to go to jason alexander but because they couldn't work out where to have the meeting that that deals off and cheryl has a tennis elbow or elbow really hurts so larry suggests calling his uh, massage guy i guess jojo which is which is a great <laughs> name for an adult <laughs> especially a medical professional adult you know it's like yeah. i don't know i don't know what you'd call a masseuse or what he actually is but yeah i'm like oh yeah call my doctor jojo uh, yeah no. like the the only person <laughs> that is allowed to be an adult and named jojo is the person who is telling you to get out 
parentheses leave. <laughs> Who wasn't even an adult when she said that. No, but she's an adult now. But and now she still she is, goes by the name JoJo. I believe you're right. Yes. At least she added her last name too. I think she she throws that. I in think now. you're right. It's like Levesque right. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Levesque. <laughs> yeah, JoJo Levesque. There we go. Levesque. Yep. Okay. All right. The star of RV, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. Actually, <laughs> yeah. And Aquamarine. Aquamarine was a good one. Yeah. So. <laughs> Larry opens up his Chinese food and he got the wrong food. What a great I this they just have such a realistic marriage depiction. Cheryl goes, Well, did you check the food before you left? And Larry goes, Yeah, I checked and I decided to bring the wrong food home. <laughs> that was so good. I, I love that line. <laughs> yeah, just amazing. I mean, just so realistic. And so now he's got to go back to Royal Star and talk about Larry predicting 2020 problems. I mean, yeah. how many yeah, times I'm, did this happen to you during COVID? So many. Yeah. So many. And actually, I think I, I, I told you early on in last week's episode, it was the opening scene where I could tell that I wasn't going to like it. Yeah. The same thing happened to me with this episode. But let me let me tell you, I, I had a little bit of a realization. Ah. I, what I think I didn't like about it and what I thought I wouldn't like about this one because of this scene is because... I have these exact same issues. I don't want to watch a sitcom about the things I'm experiencing. Yeah, yeah. That that's I was just li- re-listening to the to the last episode and I think that I think you just landed on I think we had a breakthrough, Ted. We just had a breakthrough um, or you did by yourself. Uh, but yeah, that like you were like personally put off by it, like personally offended by it because of what Cliff was doing and <laughs> Because of how often, you know, but just because of how relatable this situation is. Yeah. And I, I mean, it seems like every time we get takeout or we go to a drive through, it seems like every time something is wrong, like something, something is forgotten. I'm the guy. I'm the guy that gets the shaft. Something is forgotten. Uh, something is missing. We, we didn't, uh, we were overcharged or something. <laughs> We didn't get the sauces that we wanted, which I know is the biggest issue in the entire world right now. <laughs> there's, um, yeah, there's one in every group. And I remember in college, it was my friend Peyton. Like, no matter what restaurant we went to, everybody's order would be right except for his. <laughs> and he just God. learned to live with it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's what I, I, I settled on, especially with this scene, is like, this sitcom is just issues that I'm experiencing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and you know, and that, maybe that's why I'm having a hard time connecting to it because, like, I want to detach. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's a little we're we're getting up, and I mean, we're in the 2000s. Like, we're approaching modern times and modern problems. And the the Seinfeld problems were a little bit of the 90s. You know, I mean, they were still relatable. I mean, there was it was dating and romance and friends mm-hmm. and just funny. But some of them were a little absurd. Like, oh, no one's ever going to be in this situation. It's just, it's just. It's just mundane. It's not relatable. It's just yeah, mundane. The, there's there's the, a difference there. The Seinfeld cinematic universe went from, oh, this is so absurd. No one's ever going to have this problem. Yeah. Pivoting to, oh, well, this is so relatable. Everyone's going to have this problem. It is closer to George's idea for what Jerry should be. It was like, what did you do? I got up. I came to work. That's it. That's the show. You know, it's like that. The show is literally like just nothing. It's nothing. Like this is Larry yeah. finally got his show literally about nothing. He doesn't have his Lennon McCartney relationship with with Jerry, where they can, you know, add that um, 
drama to it or whatever, you know, add the TV-ness to it. It's just everyday, just everyday life. What'd you do? Well, we got takeout and they got my order wrong. You know, as we're going to hear it, it's like, there's, there's more to it than that. They did add a little bit of drama, a lot of drama to it actually, but it is, it is just funny how, you know, how they, it mushrooms into something much bigger, just this little relatable problem. But I think a good episode in the future would be, you know, Larry orders Uber Eats or, or DoorDash or something, and they drop it off on the wrong <laughs> doorstep. And he has this one little tiny picture of food on a doorstep. And he's like walking around, sneaking up to all of his neighbor's porches and trying to find where his food is. You know, that would happen. And I mean, the person that it ends up, the person whose porch it ends up on uh, is going to be, I don't know, the president of NBC or yeah. something. Yeah. Some enemy that he's made recently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and they say they didn't get it, but he but he sees the same welcome mat or something. It's yeah, like, it's hey, it's gonna be it's gonna be the guy he honked at in the Starbucks <laughs> drive-through because he uh because or no no you know what it's gonna be it's gonna be the guy that was behind Larry in the Starbucks drive-through because Larry chose not to continue the pay it forward trend. Yes, if there's not a pay it forward episode already, I'd be disappointed because <laughs> that's been going on for a while. I feel like that's something Larry needs to deal with. Yeah. So back over at Royal Star, Larry gets the correct order and he finds out that his order was switched with Alan Wasserman from HBO, who you might remember from the pilot episode, Larry David, Curb Your Enthusiasm. And they have kind of an awkward exchange and then and then leave the restaurant and back at home. Larry thinks the awkward exchange was because he lied about his stepfather dying or getting in a car accident, stepfather getting in a car accident to get out of doing the stand up special. And Alan probably has realized it by now. And Larry opens up his sh- uh, dish, his meal, to find he's only has three Kung Pao shrimp in the whole box. And normally there's at least ten, Larry says. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know what? Alan took the shrimp. He must have opened it up and took the shrimp. And uh, Larry's just, you know, just flabbergasted that this guy could do it. And, and, and pissed off, too. I think he's stewing a little bit. He's fuming. Over at Julia Louis-Dreyfus's office at 2301 Westwood Boulevard, which I don't know what's there now. The last time Google Maps drove by, it was just covered in scaffolding and construction. So it doesn't look like a great part of town either, I got to say. There's just a lot of like mm. body shops and just kind of like buildings Weird. that look like this, just kind of like blown out <laughs> buildings. Yeah. And this one had a very like Bush Gardens, Williamsburg, old Germany look to it too, that I was like, that's an office building? I thought they were going to go in and it was like medieval times or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, Larry goes to medieval times. Cool. Oh, no, it's it's an office. Okay. that That's a show. <laughs> that's a show. <laughs> Julia, I, this was, what a great callback. Julia offers right off the bat, oh, it took you 25 minutes to get, next time we'll meet at your office. Okay, next time, <laughs> right off the bat. That was so funny that he's like, oh, what? And Larry is like gracious. He's like, what? He just wants the offer. You know, he's like, what? No, we'll meet here. We'll forget the back and forth. We'll just go forth. Like, <laughs> but Julia, I love how insistent Julia was. Like, next time, oh my gosh, we got to make it easier for you. Yeah. This this <laughs> whole time, it wasn't actually about having a meeting at Larry's office. It was just about being offered, you know. Yeah, the principle the, of the thing. Exactly. What Larry wants was just the courtesy. <laughs> yeah. At least offer, and then it'll be fine. <laughs> I feel like I'm that way a lot of times. You know, I mean, I, I was just thinking about this watching this episode, how alike I am. Again, to Larry David, you know, I, I, was, I was so much like George and now I find myself having so much in common with Larry that it's like, as long as they make the effort, like it, it is the thought that counts a lot of times and then I'll just do whatever. But it's like, as long as, yeah. it, as long as there's consideration, as long as you're being considerate, it's like, okay, well then I'll bend over backwards for you. I'd rather, I'd rather be the martyr, you know, honestly. Uh, and Julia loves the idea of the show. 
but wonders <laughs> this was a more great callback you know i wonder if it's maybe better for jason and larry's like what what i don't I don't. I honestly don't see him in this at all. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's completely wrong for it. And Julia again digs in on the George equals Larry thing. Like, well, you know, he's he's always dealing with you know people thinking he played this idiot on the show, and he's not that at all. <laughs> but Julia's like, all right, fine. You know, let let's pitch it to HBO because I want to be able to to curse. She wants to be able to say fuck, and she's like, I really <laughs> want to do this on HBO. But Larry's like, well, you know, I I don't have a great relationship with HBO. But Elaine knows a guy, Michael Halbrecht. Hall I think that's right. Halbrecht. Yeah, Hall yeah. I I think she pronounced it Halbrecht. Halbrecht. Yeah, she plays with this guy who from HBO plays poker, and Larry's like, "Oh, the the gay guy," and she's like, "What? No, he's been married. He's been married forever." Larry's like, "Huh? Okay, I just thought he was gay." She's like, "Why don't you meet? You'll meet Michael at the game, and we'll start, you know, planting the seeds at HBO, and and maybe we can do the show there, even despite your." Uh, tenuous relationship with the network uh, uh back at home cheryl is getting worked over by jojo <laughs> and ends up you know i guess the tennis elbow feels better but she's gonna she's gonna that's gonna leave a mark jojo left a mark he, she's gonna be bruised in a couple days uh, as larry says over at hbo jeff and larry are there meeting julia and her manager they're gonna pitch the show to hbo and larry asks them their opinion about the drink before dinner and they have another little conversation about that and I, I I lean on this was I'm glad they sort of extrapolated because like a drink before dinner is not a you know what, hey let's go out to dinner tonight all right let's go get in the car it's a oh tonight's our date night like that's a it's a romantic date night kind of thing it's not a spur of the moment thing to me so I can feel <laughs> like Larry was hungry he was like digging through the grocery bags and she was like no 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 it's almost dinner let's go out and he was like oh fine and now I have to stop and get a drink on an empty stomach before I go yeah eat food like <laughs> no this is like a it's dinner time we're eating dinner thing it's not a romantic date night kind of thing and so like that that put me solidly more on larry's side but at least it gave me a little more understanding about the distinction between the two because i i did get it and i was like well yeah what is the difference because i'm i'm down with stopping for a drink at some place beforehand it's better if it's like in walking distance or something you don't have to repark for but but i like that but as jeff said like that's something you do when you're trying to get laid you know it's like you 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 know when you're when you want us to take someone out on the town, you know, it'd be like if she said, oh, yeah, let's go to dinner. Oh, you know, let's go to a movie first. Like, what? No. Yeah, like, <laughs> let me let me eat some cookies then. Yeah. Let me see what you have in the grocery bags. Yeah. Uh, like if we're if we're going to have a break in between right now and us eating, <laughs> let me eat. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so they head into the meeting and Alan remarks right away about Larry's stepfather's miraculous recovery. How's your stepfather doing? Like in that very obvious tone. And Larry then decides to bring up that Alan stole his shrimp. And Alan tells on himself right away. This was great. I don't know if this part was improv, but it's amazing where Larry goes, how are your garlic noodles? And Alan goes, I didn't eat your <laughs> garlic noodles. And Larry goes, I, I didn't have garlic noodles. You, you did. Remember, we switched orders. I had shrimp uh and Le and alan's like uh oh 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 yeah yeah uh, they, yeah they were good oh my I, I thought that was so good that alan was immediately on the defensive even though larry hadn't accused him of anything yet yes yeah just amazing. just a telltale sign of yeah. him having a guilty conscience <laughs> totally uh and 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 it's great clarification for the audience too it lets us know that like larry's not mistaken they didn't mm -hmm. forget anything he totally did this but it causes a huge <laughs> argument and Larry ends up walking away uh, well, from the meeting. But before Larry walks away, Alan has got line of the episode, I feel like. <laughs> because 
He yells to Larry, because Larry's obviously incensed about the shrimp. Alan yells, if you want your shrimp, take your $475 million and go buy a fucking shrimp boat. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was so good. Yeah, yeah. Pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but again, once again, with Larry, he's such a principled guy. I mean, mm-hmm. whether the principles are right or wrong, you know. <laughs> um, Some, yeah. sometimes, sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. Yeah. He could buy Royal Star Restaurant, but that's not the point. The point is someone stole <laughs> shrimp from him. For crying out loud. I think we're all on Larry's side. That's messed up. Uh, at the elevators, everyone demands that Larry go in and apologize to Alan, which he reluctantly does. I would have loved to have heard that apology, but I guess it yeah. worked. <laughs> because at the poker game later, we find out everything is smoothed out between Alan and... They, they kissed and they made up. Yeah. And so apparently the show is, is going to move forward a little bit at HBO. And they're playing poker with... Uh, it's, it's Larry and Cheryl and Brad and Julia and Michael and his wife, Melissa, I think is her name, and then also Mickey, a dentist, and his wife. And Larry and Cheryl are filling in for a couple that is normally there. They start playing a game of Guts. Have you ever... What is Guts? Do you know what Guts is? No, I have no idea. Me neither. Let's look it up next week. I'm curious. Okay. Guts poker. Yeah, because evidently it's like... It's a winner-take-all situation. The pot gets to around $800, uh, at least, uh, someone is... Larry thinks... I mean, there's chips and cash in there. Like, everyone's trying to stay in this game, whatever it is. And Julia wins, bluffing with a garbage hand. (laughs) Meanwhile, she she has a a six and a ten, which is... Six and a ten. Is is nothing. (laughs) Yeah, it it doesn't match, certainly. I was like, maybe it's like Blackjack, where whoever had the highest one. But I don't think that's the case, because Michael had an ace high. So it is just regular two... You know, whatever the best hand you can make with two cards, that's, you know, whoever can win with that, it seems like, are the rules. And Michael had an ace high, which would have beat Julia's garbage hand. And everyone's like, oh, my gosh, you lost. You just it cost you eight hundred dollars. And Larry's like, oh, my you cunt. Oh, what a cunt. Can't believe you didn't stay in. And all of the air is sucked out of the room. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone calls out Larry for for being misogynistic. Uh, Everybody leaves, but not before, like, they ask, oh, the the Parishers are going to be back next week, right? (laughs) Yeah. That Um, was great. Before we leave this scene, there is something that I want to look up for next week because we get another instance, another look into um, Cheryl being uh, big into the environment because someone asked Larry why they didn't just go to NBC with the relationship that he had with NBC. Right. And Cheryl didn't want Larry to go to NBC because GE kept dumping PCBs into the Hudson River. Can can we look up, like, what the connection is there? Between Cheryl, David, and the environment? Uh, No, but between, like, NBC and and GE. Oh, GE owned NBC for the longest time. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, GE. Well, what was... what is what is a PCB then? Isn't that plastics? I feel like PCBs are still a huge deal. It, I doubt it's printed circuit board. Oh, oh, here we go. Polychlorinated biphenyl, highly carcinogenic co- chemical compounds, formerly mm. used in industrial and consumer products, whose production was banned by U.S. federal law in 1978. Wow. So this is a grudge that Cheryl's been holding for a long time. Damn. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, if if they keep dumping them into the Hudson River, that is a that is a legitimate grudge to have. That'd be bad. Yeah. The source of the PCB discharges in the Hudson River were two. Yeah, I'm finding. Uh, well, the the source of PCB discharges were two GE capacitor manufacturing plants located in Fort something or other. This is from riverkeeper.org. 
about. Oh, yeah. Between 47 and 77, GE dumped an estimated 1.3 million pounds of PCBs into the Hudson River. Wow. Fort Edwards, uh, Fort Edward in Hudson Falls, New York, about 50 miles north of Albany. GE's PCBs are now found in sediment, water, and wildlife throughout the Hudson ecosystem. As far south as the New York Harbor, they're also found in people. And this article, I don't know when it was written, but... (laughs) It's pretty I mean, eventually I we're all going to be plastic anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's that's for the best. When you I I, I think I I just don't know what's going to happen first. People are going to be mostly plastic, or the Earth is going to die. Yeah, maybe around maybe the, us becoming plastic is just preparing us to survive the eventual collapse of the climate. Oh, like, yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Today's high is 130. Oh, but it's okay. We're mostly plastic. Yeah, plastic doesn't burn. Not, not that way. I mean, it does, but obviously we did it for centuries. But the plastic on your skin will keep you safe from the punishing rays of <laughs> the ozone, the non-ozone layer protected sun. That's what I'm trying to say. And now back to the music. Um, <laughs> it sounded like we were doing a, like a radio weather report. Uh, okay, so uh, I, one thing I loved about it, So yeah, the game is over and everyone's leaving like, Michael's on the verge of tears. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was nuts to me. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. But when everyone's leaving, his wife is like rubbing his back and he's just staring straight ahead, like yeah. with a frown on his face. He, like, he is fighting he is back shocked. here. Yeah. <laughs> In the driveway of Michael's house, Larry is defending his use. And I never thought of that word this way that he's like, there's something you call somebody when they're not being masculine. I never really. I yeah. never thought that. <laughs> no, it's not the same as saying wimp to me it's like yeah and I, I think he says like it's the same as uh he's like maybe i should have said pussy instead right and that i would i would say you know sexism possible sexism aside um that that's what you call somebody when you want to say that mm-hmm. they're not masculine not like at least yeah that, that's yeah. that's an argument to be had 100 percent. i would say like later they get in the conversation like cunt is closer to prick you know you don't you, you know like it, it's a harsher word. It doesn't mean like you're not masculine. It's 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 harsher, yes, but yeah. it's definitely not on even the same level as prick. Not the same level, sure. Yeah, I mean, you could probably say prick on after ten on network TV these days, but yeah, yeah. I don't, I but, don't think, I don't think, but you it's can the get same. But it's the same definition. It, they're synonymous on, on Comedy Central. Yeah, they're synonymous is like what I'm saying. Like if not, but I wouldn't say. I wouldn't. I, I hate how vulgar I would, but like, um, I wouldn't say prick. It's a very vulgar name. episode. I know. Yeah, I, yeah you had to. Uh, I mean, hey, I, in, in in the same instance, I can say drop an F on Comedy Central, but also say fuck. Yeah, know? that's true. I, I'm I'm not like I'm not purposefully censoring myself. And and I am for some reason. I don't know why. But but I wouldn't I wouldn't say prick is the same as pussy in this situ- in in any situation. So in the driveway, Larry, like we I was saying, Larry is defending his use of the word. And Larry and Cheryl joke about. He's like, "Wow, I can't believe that guy called me a misogynist. No one's ever called me that before." And Cheryl's like, "Oh well, maybe you are. Maybe I'm learning stuff." And he's like, "Yeah, well, maybe I am a misogynist." And he starts pretending to slap her, and she like moves her head back and forth like she's getting slapped. And meanwhile, we see Mickey, the dentist. Seeing this, and from the angle he's looking at, he's looking at it so the driver and passenger are right next to each other. And so it looks like, with stage slapping, that Larry is actually slapping Cheryl around. And he turns with a horrified look and gets in his car. (laughs) Back at Royal Star, Jeff and Larry are there. And they the deal with HBO is on the rocks. Still, though, because of Larry's, you know, relationship with the... Because of the way he acted and stuff like that. This is where Larry says that 
you know, he's called men pricks before and he'll work with, well, no. Okay. So the, the deal with HBO is on the rocks because Michael, because of what he said to Michael, not because of what Larry did yeah. earlier. And, yeah. and Jeff tells Larry that Michael took a leave of absence. He's still shell shocked by the whole thing. He's examining his life. He's yeah. examining his entire life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we talk about snowflakes on the show, but come on. <laughs> like, that is, that's melting like a snowflake. Um, but yeah, Larry, he's like, none of the women want to work with you. And he's like, well, I call men pricks. Which, men want to work with me. Which is a very, uh, a very uh, real thing. He's like, it, n- n- none of the women want to work with me. I mean, that's a very <sighs> modern yeah uh, problem, I think. Yeah, like, yeah. M- m- men are learning, oh, hey, I probably shouldn't be misogynistic (laughs) but this is yeah and this is where larry you know conflates something having the same definition to something being you know two words being equally bad in the eyes of society it's like we all agree Mm -hmm. that the c word is worse but and and so larry doesn't get that he's like they mean the same thing why why do the women want to work with me guys work with me and i call them pricks uh so larry larry doesn't understand uh time's up larry time is up (laughs) (laughs) so the manager from royal star comes over And he confirms that there are always 11 shrimp in every serving of Kung Pao. They have a very strict policy of 11 shrimp. Yeah, I I love that. We've got a very strict policy. We always count them. There's always 11 shrimp. (laughs) And and Larry had had three. I think that's right. Yeah, three shrimp. Yeah. And so Jeff Jeff gives him a look like, you're right. You were right. You were right. Uh, Over the dentist. Mickey comes in to see Cheryl. They had talked about this at the poker game. Like, oh, I need a dentist. Mine's moving. And so he was like, yeah, call him, make an appointment. So he comes in and he sees this giant bruise on her arm. I mean, it is a hand. <laughs> it is a hand grabbing someone's bicep mark. Like you would if you were getting massage for tennis elbow or if you were shaking your wife, you know, <laughs> if you were grabbing mm-hmm. your wife. Yeah. I mean, we, we do know <laughs> from earlier on in the episode, the bruise is from Jojo. Yes, one million percent. It's from JoJo because yeah. Larry was like, "Oh, in a couple of days, that is going to look even worse than it does right now." Uh-huh. Uh huh. And so the dentist offers her a safe space to talk about if there's something going on. You know, you can say we have in this cubicle we have doctor patient confidentiality. And Cheryl goes for dentist too. <laughs> for dentist too. <laughs> that was hilarious because I never thought about it. I was like, "Huh? I I wonder." I'm gonna look. I, I am gonna look that up though. Dentist confidentiality. I would imagine it's the same sort of. I would imagine they're you know, doctors. Yeah, but I'm still. Do, do, does yeah. a doctor have to take the same Hippocratic oath? Yeah, as a wait, dentist, is, is there? Wait, is the Hippocratic oath the patient-doctor confidentiality, or is that something different? The Hippocratic oath I know starts with "do no harm." I don't know if there's more to it than that. Okay, um, but and so I don't know if the patient-doctor confidentiality comes from that or if it's some other legal precedent like with a priest you don't have to you know anything Mm. said in confession isn't you know you can't force anybody to testify based on that i don't know where it comes from but we'll look we'll we'll dive into it a little bit if it if it does apply to dennis because even he doesn't know she's like does that apply to dennis too he's like i i think so (laughs) (laughs) um but i i love again this is larry because like dennis aren't mds and so to larry he's like well that's not a doctor it's the same thing when what other problem did he have? Was it like chiropractor or something where he was like, that's not a doctor. You know, like Larry has a problem. I don't know. This must have been Seinfeld where he has an issue with people trying to trade above their actual station. You know, where he's like, oh, yeah. He called him. Oh, oh, I, I remember what it was. The dermatologist. Yep. Yeah. And say Pimple like, popper I'm, I'm, MD. Yeah. I'm, I'm, saving, I'm lives. saving lives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and but I think this has already come up too, where someone has tried to 
sound like more than they are and larry kind of calls them on it i think it's come up in the show already but i can't think of any when it when i'm what i'm thinking of but uh yeah this this is more of larry pulling that with the guy going it's patient uh doctor patient confidentiality like really for Dennis <laughs> and Larry it, as the dentist says Larry has to be stopped I've seen what kind of man he is and he's an animal yeah. <laughs> Larry has to be stopped uh, over at LA farm which is the second time we've been here it is also featured in the bracelet if you want a little dive on LA farm the HBO deal is is gone the dentist told Alan everything that happened with Michael and Cheryl they think he's a wife beater oh, Larry's here with Cheryl by the way so the the HBO deal is done Larry's like, well, whatever, we'll go to ABC. We'll take it to ABC. Who cares what network we're on? Uh, and Larry wants to get dessert, but he wants to go, but Cheryl wants to go somewhere else. And I thought she said Cheddar's here. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Did Cheddar's used to be a nice LA restaurant or something? <laughs> I thought that would have been hilarious. Now it's just a sit down, casual <laughs> yeah, restaurant now it's like in TGI every Friday. dying strip mall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But she doesn't. She says shutters. Let's go to shutters and get dessert. I guess it's like on the beach. And, and again, Larry is flummoxed by why we're at a restaurant that has dessert. Why do we have to go somewhere else and find a spot and get a table and have dessert somewhere else? And they have and an argument. After, yeah. And even after having the conversation with with Julia, Julia's manager, and Jeff, Larry doesn't pick up on the fact that, oh, maybe maybe Cheryl wants to have a, exactly. a little adventure. He wants to have a little date night. Maybe Cheryl maybe Cheryl wants to get laid. Yeah. Maybe this is a date night now. Like, it seems yeah. like we plan to go out. You know, if you can't plan to go out and do the spontaneous thing first, you can certainly do it second, mm-hmm. you know. But by the way, one thing I loved about this scene during their argument when Cheryl and Larry are getting loud, a background actor reacts. Yes, I saw this. Thank you. They they just look over. uh, I I think she like uh, she just like cranes her head over and looks at them. Yeah, she she's got her back Uh essentially to Larry and Cheryl. And she's like about to take a sip of coffee and like looks over at them like you would if you were. I'm like, thank you. Oh, my gosh. What great background acting. Give whatever the (laughs) awards are for extras. There there should be one. And it should go to that lady. The Lifetime Achievement Award. We're finally they're having a shouting accident and people are reacting. Um, And so Cheryl's like, you know what? Let's just go home. (laughs) <laughs> like at the end of the argument <laughs> fine let's just go home um and then larry sees larry and cheryl both see michael walking with some guy and we presume he's on a date <laughs> because as larry because larry's insult to him evidently made him rethink his entire life and as he was talking about with jeff jeff's like he's gay he's always been gay he's thinking about being gay now or whatever it was so yeah i guess i guess michael is out and back at home uh, the next day a lady from social services shows up and asks Cheryl, she sees the bruise on her arm and Cheryl never gets a chance to, this is real threes company level writing because Cheryl never gets to explain like, no, I had tennis elbows. This is from a massage. How, how hard was that to do? You could do it in less than a second. <laughs> and at least the story is out there. You know, it's like, even if the people don't believe her, she never even yeah. says it. She's like, Oh, this, no, this is from, and then she's interrupted and never goes back to it. Oh, well, it's not important. People think uh, my husband's abusing me, but uh, and I could easily, you know, clear this up. But oh well. Um, so yeah, she's like, she sees the thing, and she's like, "Do you want to press charges?" And Cheryl's <laughs> like, "Uh." And Larry arrives, and he's singing some dumb song. He's just like moseying through the driveway, going la 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 la. <laughs> and you see Cheryl <laughs> kind of look off and think about <laughs> whether she wants to. <laughs> and frolic starts up, and that's the end of the episode. 
Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hilarious ending. Like, well, I'm thinking. Hang on. <laughs> I could get rid of this guy forever. <laughs> <laughs> what do we got for homework this week? I wrote down. Uh, how do you play guts poker? Whatever that is. Do we want to know? We do we want to know about Cheryl and the environment, or, or did we clear up all the GE PCB thing? Um, I think we cleared that. Oh, okay. up. I mean, yeah, if GE owned NBC and and they yeah. were dumping these plastics into the Hudson River, that's that's really all we need to know. I mean, what else are we gonna do? Yeah. Like a study of PCBs in the Hudson River? Right. <laughs> we got we got through most of it. It would just yeah. be painful for everybody next week if I did if I dove any deeper. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it is interesting that Cheryl still hasn't forgiven them in twenty five years. You know, I mean, but the, but we're feeling the effect as we read we're feeling the effects mm-hmm. today so yeah cheryl will never but like she married a guy that was in huge business with nbc for with a NBC. long time and that wasn't a... yeah so that 475 million that was already in the bank what am i going to do about that i can't <laughs> you know but i'm not going to do any new business with nbc that's right uh and uh, doctor patient dentist confidentiality how far does that extend and that's it okay what do you like for cover art this week I mean, Larry slapping Cheryl is pretty funny. Maybe even like from Mickey's perspective, um, everybody at the poker table might be cool. What are you thinking? Um, I don't know, actually. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe all of them meeting at uh, at HBO. But I can't, I don't think there's a really good like uh, shot of all of them. It's like a shot of Larry and Julia, then a shot yeah. of the HBO execs. Yeah, the shot of Larry and Julia in the conference room might be okay, but I think I even like the poker anything at the poker game better. Okay, yeah, I'll make I'll make one of those work. Let's see what we can do about this week's description, though. All right. <laughs> so we had Larry's suspicion that an HBO executive has lifted some shrimp from his Chinese food leads to trouble. Okay, how would you make okay. it better? So drop leads to trouble. Yeah. And add has a meaning. Our final product is. Larry has a suspicion that an HBO executive has lifted some shrimp from his Chinese food. Ah, I think it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, we know it's going to lead to something. You don't need yeah. like that's they put they put a generic phrase like that in every one of these and I'm like stop doing that. That's every episode. Larry leads to trouble. That's all yeah. like that's every episode. The 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 gang gets into a wacky situation. <laughs> Or what, I mean, what was our what was our like uh, go to generic phrase for Seinfeld? Uh, oh, hilarity! Like uh, was hilarity it hilarity ensues. ensues? I think that's right. Yeah, <laughs> hilarity ensues. Hilarity ensues. <laughs> hilarity ensues when Jerry and George blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, that, but they they come up with a new one every week. I'm like, how do you guys? You're gonna run out of ways to generically describe a Curb episode. You must. You simply must. <laughs> As he always does, Larry causes trouble. Oh, this ha- oh, this sounds good. Next one's going to be, this thing happens and no one is on Larry's side. <laughs> wow, really? You don't say. Larry's forced to defend himself when blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yes, every episode. Jeez. But yeah, what, what, do you, what do you think of just adding the, the has a? I, I mean, you could even shorten it up even more and say Larry suspects. A blah blah blah. Mm, that's true. You that's get true. rid of Larry, yeah. Pray. Larry yeah. suspects that an HBO executive has lifted some shrimp from his Chinese food. Period. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I like that. All right. Or I done. mean, well, hang on. I mean, you might even be able to like Larry suspects a potential business partner might have stolen blah blah blah. I like that even better ah. because it's like who cares about HBO? He's he's not on HBO. But I like the fact that they might be in dealings together. That's true. Larry like suspects that. a potential business partner may have sw- whatever it was. Yeah. Ha- has lift- has lifted some shrimp from his Chinese food. Yes. I like I that. I like that. There we go. All right. What did you think about the episode? 
I liked it. I, I you know, I, I didn't have many laugh out loud moments, but I enjoyed it overall. And, and also it made me kind of realize I'm like, maybe I'm not going to get the laugh out loud written for TV moments mm-hmm. that we got from a sitcom that was designed. To do. This is not written in the same way. We know that. And so it's going to be more situational. I'm smiling and chuckling through the whole scene rather than one punchline, you know? Yeah. And so I got a lot of that in this episode. I got a lot of smiling and chuckling through entire scenes and like, you know, watching a ghast and putting my hand over my mouth and going like, oh my gosh, and, and putting my hand on my forehead and going like, oh, where, oh my gosh, I think I see where this is headed. <laughs> um, like, so I, I would give it a star and it would bump last week's off any top three list. You know, it mm. would... Okay. It, it would still be, I feel like, low, but we're getting better. But it would certainly be higher than last week's low. It's not as low okay. as last week's star low. <laughs> See, I'm I'm gonna give it a star. This is Full my star. First, this is my first starred episode of the season. Yeah. Um, but I I agree with you. Like, if if uh the season does get better, I I'll, I mean I'll just have to weigh this against the episodes that we cover uh, coming up later on in season two. Yeah. But I mean, w- with this being the first starred episode for me for season two, it is definitely, it- it's the top of the barrel, but it's also the bottom of the barrel. Right, right, right. We- we're hoping it gets better from here. We're hoping this is a strong number three when we get to the end. I think both yeah. of us maybe. Yeah. So we're, we're on the right track. We're back on track. All right. So next week we have got season two, episode five, the thong original air date, <laughs> October 21st, 2001. And if you are, are looking in TV Guide that night, you are going to see Larry and Richard Lewis plot to end their relationships with a shrink after Larry sees the doc in a thong. <laughs> I re- it's amazing how many of these I remember. Like, I remembered where this episode was going. I, rem- I, I know this episode... And yeah, it honestly, it sounds like a good tease. I don't even know if we're going to be able to make that better because it already sounds pretty good. <laughs> uh, maybe the best one yet. So, And I don't hear a generic... <laughs> Curb Your Enthusiasm episode descriptor in there. So, um, All right. I'm looking forward to it. Is that it? Yeah, I think that's it. All right. For No Hugging, No Learning, I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. Be good. Be good.